Log Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. I'm your host, Bernadette Walsh, and I'm so excited today to introduce my guest, Sarah Wendell. Sarah is the co-founder of the romance book review site, Smart Bitches, Trashy Books, with the tagline, All of the Romance and None of the Bullshit. The site has become the leading authority for romance novels, and currently the blog has readers in over 150 countries. Sarah is also the co-author of Beyond Heaving Bosoms, The Smart Bitches Guide to Romance, which was published by Touchstone Fireside in 2009 and is now in use in undergraduate courses at Yale, Princeton, and DePaul universities. Sarah also wrote Everything I Know About Love I've Learned from Romance Novels. Sarah's articles have appeared in several publications, including The Washington Post and USA Today, and she has appeared on many television and radio shows. She's also co-host of the Dear Bitches Smart Authors podcast. So welcome, Sarah, to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. I'm so happy you could join us today. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk a little bit about your um, your review site uh, for people who are not aware of it. I know that you started in 2005, but what made you decide to start this review site? I had been writing online since about 1996 or 1997, and back then they were called online journals, which is way more austere and better sounding than blog. I had been writing online about whatever I was doing at the time and had a pretty good familiarity with other online journalers, and then blog software came along, and we didn't have to code all our own sites anymore, which was just revelatory for me. Candy, who co-founded the site with me, read my personal site, and um, about winter of 2004, she and I got into an email conversation, and one of us somehow brought up that we liked romance novels, and we both agreed that we were very tired of people looking down on us for liking them and wondering about our intellects because we were so unabashedly happy to be reading them. And one of us said, well, we should start a romance review site. We should talk about all the books we love and all the books that we don't like. And the other one said, yeah, sure, that's a great idea. And I, I was already running two other sites at the time. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? This will be fun. We never expected anyone to read it. We never expected it to be as popular as it is. But eight years later, it is still going stronger every month. So we are very fortunate. Now, how long did it take, take for the site to kind of get off the ground and, and have people read it other than your friends? <laughs> Well, initially, we didn't think anyone would read it except my husband and her friend and the two of us. But we very much underestimated two very important things. One, we underestimated how many romance readers there are who are who feel as isolated as we did, who didn't have anyone in their lives to talk about their romances with, who got made fun of by people for liking them, and who were very, very hungry for someone to talk to about how much they liked romance. We didn't know how many of those people there were, and we still find more and more every day. I still get email messages saying, where have you been? I had no idea that there were romance sites. This is wonderful. I've been reading romance for years, and I never talked to anyone about it because people are so rude about it. The other thing we greatly underestimated is the propensity of authors to Google their own names. So the minute we would write about a cover or post a review, that link would get passed along. And we never did any advertising. We never took out advertisements on sites or I don't even think Facebook existed back then, or at least we weren't allowed to have access to it because it was still for colleges. We didn't have any real plans for social media. We just wanted to write our site and have fun. So the advertisement got passed along 
or excuse me, the, the site address got passed along through email. And for a while, our number one referrer was Yahoo email because people were just emailing the link around and around and around. After that, people kept coming back because it was consistently entertaining. and Yeah, it was consistent, and there was always something new to talk about, and we weren't going to run out of books anytime soon. So people kept coming back, and the audience continues to grow. Now, how has the review business kind of changed over time? Because I think in some ways, as you said, you kind of got in on the ground floor. And now there's so many review sites, almost, yes. you know, and, and, and I don't know what kind of numbers they pull in, but, uh, you know, you were the first one, I think, really there. So, so has the competition hurt you or helped you or unaffected you? Well, we were not the first romance review site. All About Romance existed before we did. Mrs. Giggles existed before we did. And there were other sites that talked about romance novels. Um, when we started, there were not that many, though. There may have been a handful. Mm-hmm. The proliferation of review sites is only a good thing because there's more than 300 novels published every month. So we can't possibly review them all. I don't think all of the sites put together could make all of the reviews happening, especially now with (laughs) self-publishing books going up every day. There's more than enough books to talk about, and and it's the Internet. It's not like we're running out of space. There's more than enough room for everybody. It doesn't hurt me to have another website. It's actually better because the the way that people are on the Internet – they don't just go to one place. They go to more than one place. And I can't go to another site and say, you should not read them. You should read me. That's not going to work. That's not how the Internet works at all. People read in a sort of web of networks. They'll go from the site to site to site that they consistently like. And people don't just read only one thing. They read lots of different things. So for me to have more sites online talking about romance is only a good thing. Right, right. And I think also your site has a very unique um, voice. You know, like you said, you you do are a little profane, and you um, oh, and you, you more than know, a little, like it is, but yeah. <laughs> whereas, <laughs> whereas maybe some other sites they 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 don't use that kind of language. So um, you know, everyone is, is a definitely little a little different. Yes, we're yeah. definitely we're definitely snarky, and we are unabashed about it. We. We mock romance because we love it. And when there's something that's very silly about it, like this year I've been doing the romance novel workouts where, much like a drinking game, if something repeatedly happens, instead of drinking, you have to like do push-ups or sit-ups or a plank or something. Much, much like you can't really understand something unless you're truly familiar with it, you can't really mock something unless you adore it. You can't effectively mock something with love unless you really do like it. And when I, when I make fun of something in romance... Underneath that is the, I hope, the message that even if I'm poking fun at it, I really, really love it. Right, and I think you also have a real respect for your for your the readers of romance because that's one yes. of the things I, I think talked about in your book was, you know, people think that women who read romance are you know uneducated, wearing sweatpants, yep. and you know, and and are just basically. You know, not very sophisticated, and that yep. anyone who knows romance knows that that's not really true. I mean, I know my yes. um, when I went joined my local um, RWA chapter, which is the Long Island Romance Writers. I, you know, oh, that's I a really a really hesitant. small chapter too. It's very tiny. Yeah. There's hardly anyone in Long Island Romance Writers. There's hardly anyone in, in Long Island really. It's like five people. <laughs> it's a huge chapter <laughs> full of very yeah. smart women. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. So I was, you know, I had read, um, I had just started writing, and, and this is probably about six years ago, um, and I used to read romance, but I, like most people, I read romance, I read mystery, I read, anyone who's a real reader 
reads across genres. So, um, oh, yeah. But I went there, and I was really a little hesitant. I was like, what kind of people are going to be here? And my husband was making fun of me. He's like, oh, it's going to be all these ladies in their sweatpants. But um, a few of us wore sweatpants. But I went there, and you know what? Uh, there were two other women who were lawyers. There were a lot of teachers. There were business executives. There were stay-at-home moms. I mean, it ran the gamut. And they were really, you know, they were a cross-section of society, and they were great, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's who's writing romance, and that's who's reading romance, so I think it's really it's great that you, you know, maybe people didn't admit it, and I, and I think, well, here's a question for you, do you think, because of Fifty Shades, so it has gotten so much attention, and so many people are talking about it, now people are admitting not only reading romance, but reading hot, spicy, erotica romance, what is your view? I've been talking about Fifty Shades for a really long time because I reviewed it in the winter of 2011 and it really started to take off in early 2012. Um, I'm actually talking to a librarian group in New Jersey next week. I'm going to their um, New Jersey State Conference of Librarians to talk about Fifty Shades and how to build an erotic romance collection. And one of the points that that I make is erotic romance has been popular for more than 10 years. Laura's Cave pioneered that genre online. It has been a genre that has largely proliferated in a digital space because initially mainstream publishers didn't quite know what to do with it and didn't think it would sell and the people who founded companies like Alora's Cave and Lucid and Liquid Silver and Sam Hay, they knew that there were erotic romance readers who wanted more explicit romance and wanted romance that that bluntly and directly explored sexuality and different forms of sexuality, whether it's multiple partners or BDSM or any number of things. They wanted books that explored those things legitimately and honestly and with, with a sense that this is something normal that people do. What Fifty Shades did was bring that concept to a much much, much, much bigger audience because that book has sold, you know, I think in mathematical terms, a bajillion copies. Now more people are aware of what erotic romance is and what BDSM is, although the portrayal of BDSM in Fifty Shades is abominably bad. And if there's anything about that book that makes me really irritated, it is the portrayal of BDSM because I think more than anything it has done a disservice to people who legitimately and fairly practice BDSM. Um, I could go off about that for like 25 minutes, but because that book was... It's such a lightning rod. This book is such a lightning rod for people in the romance industry um, because, first of all, and maybe it's a certain amount of sour grapes on on writer's part, you know, but people think, you know, if there was a book from this genre that was going to break out, why couldn't it have been so-and-so's book that's very well written? And and I talked to, I had Renee Renee Rocco, who is the publisher of Lyrical Press, um, who's my publisher, and she was on um, a couple of weeks ago, and and this is one of the things we talked about. And and she said, look, you know, you may agree with it being well-written or not being well-written, but it did its job. It it titillated people. It it, it attracted people, and there's a reason why people bought it. So, um, you know. There is absolutely... There's absolutely nothing wrong with a bunch of women saying publicly, and this I thought was very brave, especially at that time, because at the time that, that Fifty Shades was ascending in media coverage was the same time that Rush Limbaugh was slut-shaming someone who testified before Congress about her friend's need for birth control. You know, So here's a woman who goes before Congress to talk about how someone she knows needs birth control, and Rush Limbaugh is calling her a slut on the air on national radio. At the same time, you have women all over Long Island, the Upper East Side, and, and wealthy parts of Connecticut saying with their names and what town they live in that this book was good for their marriage and this book turned them on. That is incredibly brave and a very good thing. And 
Well, I think to some extent, Fifty Shades has become a book that people who don't read are going to read, like The Kite Runner or The Hunger Games or Harry Potter. There's a certain number of books where people who don't read books regularly as much as you and I do, they're going to read those books. There is still going to be significant attrition. People aren't going to be like, oh, Fifty Shades, I'm going to read nothing but erotic romance. But there's going to be a percentage, and I don't know what percentage it is, there's going to be a percentage of people who read that and say, wait, hold up, there's more? There's more like this? I can read books like this? Oh, my gosh. And there are a number of people who have said to me, I had no idea I liked reading books with sex in them. And I'm like, oh, well, we have many. What would you like? Come on. It's more than 31 flavors. It's got like 25,000 flavors of romance. What would you like? Those people are finding a lot of good books to read, especially as publishers recast what romance looks like in the wake of Fifty Shades. We have a lot of monochromatic single-item images, and we have a lot less naked or largely naked people in a clinch on the covers now. The way that romance looks has changed, and so you can more yeah, readily identify contemporary a lot, erotic. I, I talked about that on a prior show. I talked about how, because um, I had a cover artist as a, um, as a guest as well, Valerie Tibbs, and I said, has Fifty Shades changed what you're doing? Because oh, yeah. now people are going for just, you know, the, the subtlety as opposed to the naked torso. And she said, you know, some people are going in that direction, and then some people are still, you know, the naked torsos still sell still sell books. So, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think really what has helped... Um, you know, the explosion and, and maybe having people who would be a little uncomfortable going into Barnes & Noble and buying Fifty Shades, but they can download it on their Kindle and they can That's read right. it on the train and, and nobody knows if they're reading Shakespeare or, you know, or... That's been tricky so, because um, a lot of the a lot of the Fifty Shades coverage focused on that that you know women can buy this digitally and no one knows, and this the the, the sense was. Women must be ashamed of this because they want to hide what they're reading, and I don't actually think that's the case. I have not yet met a romance reader who is ashamed of what they read. They're tired of being told they should be ashamed of what they read, so they don't want to engage in the conversation in the first place. They just want people to leave them alone so they can read their book. I don't believe that readers are ashamed of liking romance. I think that they are told they should be, and so there's a lot of conflicted feelings. I personally have no shame, and... It, that, that that sort of serves me with the title of the site. If I'm going to call my site Smart Bitches Trashy Books, there's a there's an, an immediate broadcast of the fact that I really don't have any shame about what I like to read, and I'm very curious what other people are reading too. Right. And and look, I think the reality is there's certain there's a certain need for mind candy. You know, a lot of us have very stressful lives. We, uh, a lot of people are you know working mothers. They're they're juggling a lot of a lot of things. And so what is the harm in having a little mind candy, whether it be Fifty Shades or, you know, a historical romance or, you know, a traditional bodice ripper? You know, there's nothing wrong with that. So I actually am I'm surprised that people are ashamed. I actually never felt ashamed, although um, when I was in college, I was a big um, Harlequin reader because, you know, it, especially like finals week, right? You needed to turn, turn it off and some people, you know, watch TV and I like to read, you know, lighthearted books. And people would mock me a little bit, but I didn't really care. So, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, there, there's room for everyone, and there's room for all kinds of different books in your in your head, right? Just mm-hmm. because you read romance doesn't mean you can't read other things. Um, well, maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, how many review requests you typically get in a month. I have to imagine it's a lot. And, and what makes you pick a book to review? I try to review books that I like or I think I'm going to like. I don't go out of my way to read something that I'm not going to like. For example, I dislike romantic suspense, and I do like adventure romance, which is a slightly different thing. I don't like entrails in my books. I don't like gory dismemberment. I don't like, um, you know, I don't want to read CSI romance. 
I can handle it on television. I can look at gross things, but that's not what I want to read when I'm embarking on my leisurely reading time. I don't want entrails, and I don't want children in peril, and that frequently appears in romantic suspense, so I don't like to read it. However, I have two guest reviewers that work with me pretty regularly. Carrie S. loves fantasy science fiction, and Elise loves pretty much everything, and including romantic suspense. So they take on books that don't interest me. I will get... It, hundreds of review requests in a week, depending. If I review a self-published book, I get a huge influx of self-published authors asking me to review their books. Many of them are not romances, so I can just say that's not what we review. Sorry. I get a lot of uh, publisher bulletins. One thing that publishers have started doing that I think is so smart is um, sending out a newsletter or bulletin of what's coming up and what digital galleys are available. So I get one from HarperCollins, I get one from Penguin, I get a great news bulletin from uh, Harlequin and Karina Press. This is what we have coming out this week, this is what we have coming out this month, organized by genre. Please let us know if you're interested, or if you are, click here, and you can download a digital galley. The number of books that come out in a month in romance is intimidating for many of us, and the number of authors who, of course, assume the responsibility of publicizing and marketing their own books is increasing monthly as well. So while my number of review requests goes up each month, the number of requests that are now organized by genre and come in like one big newsletter is also going up, which I very much appreciate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you? So it's really um, it's really driven by. Well, but what entices you? Is it is it the blurb? Is it the cover? Is it um, if it's an author you've read, or like is it all all of the above? It, it varies. And one thing I think that is true among all re- readers of romance who are online is that the longer we are online, the more we understand the process of actually publishing a book, and the more there are people who learn that the author has almost next to nothing to do with the cover, so the cover doesn't really do it for me. Um, that the blurb is often not written by the, by the author. I mean, I couldn't have blurbed my own books if you held a gun to my head. It would have been like 48 paragraphs long. That is something that someone else does. And sometimes the blurb and the cover don't match the inside of the book at all. And that's something I often talk about in reviews. When I'm looking for something to read, I know what tropes I like. I know what I'm in the mood for. Sometimes I want historical. Sometimes I want contemporary. Right now, I have been bouncing back and forth between classic regencies and contemporary romance. Um, I have a number of books that I organize. And the way I review is that I, I receive books months in advance. So I actually organize them by month of release date or the month that I'm allowed to read them. Because if I talk about a book too far in advance and people can't buy it, they get really irritated. Which is understandable. If you hear about a book you want to read, you want to go buy it right away. And if I read it too early and then it comes out two months from now, I'm not going to remember it. I don't remember what I was wearing yesterday. I'm not going to remember this book from two months ago. It had people in it. And I read you know, four or five books a week. So I'm not going to remember. I schedule my books as to when I'm allowed to read them. And I have calendar reminders. This is when this book comes out, and I know you were looking forward to reading it. You should start reading it now. Like I, I call it Present Sarah Doing Future Sarah a Favor. So Present Sarah schedules Future Sarah's reading so that Future Sarah doesn't forget what the book was about when the book actually comes out. Right now for June, I have a number of uh, contemporary romances. I think a lot of contemporary romances come, are coming out this summer that are really good. And I have some unique historicals. Uh, Zoe Archer has a book coming out on Tuesday called Sweet Revenge, but it is a Victorian romance set where the nobility is part of the enemy. And it's very much a very fierce and unblinking look at the middle and, and poverty classes of Victorian London. It's wonderfully unique, but it's, if I say historical romance, that comes with a default image that I have to then explain. 
So I always like to look for something that's a little bit different, that's a little bit unique, that explores familiar things in a new way. My favorite thing is when people take tropes and redo them. Like my book club pick for this month is Any Duchess Will Do by Tessa Dare. And that is essentially a Pygmalion story. It's very much like a My Fair Lady story, but it's retold in a wonderfully unique way because the heroine has ambitions and she fully intends to play along with this plan to make her into a duchess in a week and then go back to where she lives and assume an independent life that she can't assume yet because she lives on a farm with her with her family and she doesn't have that kind of money. She has ambitions and she has plans and she has ideas of her own and that makes her a wonderfully unique character. So mostly I go for what I like and what's a unique version of a trope that I've read before that I know I enjoy or something that someone's going to do differently. The great thing about so many new books and so much self-publishing is that something that doesn't fit this the established understanding of what a particular genre is can be published and can find an audience now. Mm-hmm. So, so you, so then you're not turned away from self-published books. No, no, I like them to be edited. I like, I like when someone other than someone's aunt or grandma edits a book for them. I have an expectation of quality. I'm not paying a dollar to read someone's unedited slush, and I get really, really irritated when I see someone say, well, you know, my readers have helped me catch all the errors. That's not your reader's job. People should not pay to be your proofreader. That's completely uncool. But yeah, when I, I see and, a self-published and, and, and author I think do it with quality. Really, yes. Yeah, no, you're right. Even if, it's, even if it's a dollar, it's not so much the money. It's you're take, asking people to take their time to spend, yeah. you know, part of their precious free time with your book yeah. and your characters. So I absolutely agree. I have not I have not self published yet, but if I were to do that, I think now that I've I've been around, you know, I've I think I've done six books now, I would know what to look for and look how to outsource because you can't edit yes. yourself. You need another pair no. of eyes. But I think And there are models of writer, people doing people it realize, right. Yeah. Yeah, but I think new writers, I don't think they do it, you know, I think they get excited, and they don't know what they don't know. And so that's why people release this stuff out there. There's a whole mixture Um, of different people who self-publish. It's just like there's no one romance reader, there's no one self-publishing author. There are authors who have incredible networks of uh, editors, copy editors, line editors, proofreaders, beta readers. There are people who who can follow as a model who do it right. The The more those people find success the more that new writers can find a model to follow, that self-publishing is not file, save as, and you're done. There is a process involved in putting out a good book. Right now, there is an absolute landslide of new books every hour, it seems, but the ones that are really good, they find a readership, and they find people to talk about them, even if it's not when they're released, even if it's a year later. It's new to somebody. It, it right. works when you find a good model of someone who's doing it right. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is is giving bad reviews. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I when I as a reader of your blog, I absolutely love to read the F's and the the dreaded did not finish reviews because they're <laughs> hilarious. But I mean, if I was the the author, I probably wouldn't like seeing that uh, associated with my book. But maybe it you talk about yeah. What I mean, what what makes you? Uh, is there any one particular thing, or or maybe a couple of things that makes you put down a book, or makes you give it an F? Well, there's a couple of different kinds of F for me. There's F, which is this was unblinkingly horrible. What the hell happened? And then there's F plus, 
which is when there's so much crazy sauce and so much complete, insane, amazing weirdness in the book that it sort of falls off the bad end of the spectrum and circles back around to good in a horrible way. For example, The Billionaire Playboy Shakes Virgin Stable Girl, that book is off the hook crazy. That book is completely bonkers. It is all the crazy sauce. The author just opened up the taps and let the crazy sauce flow. And I know enough about Harlequin to know that was a continuity. There were um, other authors in a series that she was writing along with, and she just she went hard and she didn't go home. That book is amazingly insane. And I, I kind of loved it because it was amazing. It is not a good book. It does not have excellent dialogue. There are some scenes and descriptions in there that are so completely awesome, but I love that book because I am totally the audience for Crazy Sauce. They're a book that makes me angry, or a book that I think shows no respect for the reader, that it has typos or errors. Or um, There was one book I read where the tense changed from third to first and back to third and then back to first and then back to third. That just makes me angry because I find that disrespectful to me and to my wallet. The, the thing about a bad review is what you're, what you're really talking is a negative review. It is a review that outlines why that book didn't work for that person. And especially this week at BEA, I've seen a lot of authors talking about how people who write snarky negative reviews are not to be trusted. It's a horrible thing. You're, you're, just, you're, you're, you're just wrong and you don't understand. And you know what? Shut up. This is what you sign up for when you publish. Not everyone's going to like your book. You have to be prepared for that. I have received bad reviews, and I lived. It was amazing. Other people went out and bought the book. It's okay. This is what you sign up for when you publish. Your book is not going to be appealing to everyone. And if you don't like the way a reader has expressed their feelings about the book, tough crap. Once it is published, once they pay for it, it is their experience, and they own their experience with the book. On one hand, you have this amazing opportunity for readers and authors to connect directly as authors self-publish, as more readers are online, as more people connect over social media. It is a tremendous experience for a reader to meet the author that they love, to an author whose book got them through a really dark time in their life or an author whose books have just made them so happy or the author of a book that they, that, 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 that person shared with a person who's no longer with them. There's a number of romance readers who have inherited their love of romance from an older female relative. This is Romance as a genre is the inheritance of many, many people. And reading a book and meeting the author who wrote that book that you shared with your grandmother, that's a tremendously personal experience. And that kind of connection is a very good thing. It's a wonderful thing for the reader, and I think it helps to remind the author how powerful what they do is. On the other hand, you also have some not-so-awesome side effects of that closeness and that direct interaction. It can be really hard to read a book by an author who you love and who you sometimes chat with on Twitter or have interacted with on Facebook and to read their new book and think, oh, wow, this didn't work for me. But if you're going to be honest about what you like about a book, it is important for everyone, both the reader and the author, to separate the book from the person. A good review, and I don't mean that in, in terms of a, book, a review that is that is positive a good review is a useful review it is useful for someone who is thinking do i want to read this book that's who a review is for a review that offers criticism to the author to improve a book is not a review that's a critique partner that's different that's an editorial letter that's a different thing 
A review when the book is done is really not for the author. Now, if an author learns from it, booyah. If there's a repeated theme that they notice in their writing, even better. I have received reviews like that, and it has helped me as a writer. But I am not my books, and my books are not me. If a review from a reader addresses what that reader liked and did not like about a book, what what made them angry, what made them happy, why they were dissatisfied, why they thought it was awesome, that is for another reader who is asking the question, do I want to read this? That's what reviews are for. And so for authors to go off, for anyone to go off and say what readers should and shouldn't shouldn't do, it makes me very irritable because most of the time, unfortunately, authors don't write reviews, especially in romance. I wish romance authors could review and and not experience any social consequences for it because there's nobody who knows the romance genre better than romance authors. I wish authors could give honest reviews of books. It would the the genre would change and it would be so much stronger because those are the people who know it best. But there is such a stigma for romance authors reviewing one another and it is a terribly complicated situation. Readers, I want I want readers to feel like they can review honestly, because if I write a review about a book I didn't like, I can promise you someone's going to read that review and go, I love all of those things. How fast can I buy this book? There are people who do the opposite of what I like. They tell me, I love everything you hate. Keep up the good work. One negative review is not going to end your career. Yes, but even um, the Playboy Sheik's Virgin Stable Girl, say that ten mm-hmm. times fast, um, you said that got actually a bump after your bad review. That book continues to sell. The author dedicated her next book to me because that book continues to sell and is one of her best-selling titles. It, I still wow. get affiliate sales data off of that review because it's one of my greatest hits. It's a review that I feature. There's a, I think there's a dramatics club that does dramatic readings of the book. <laughs> you know, there's another bad review for uh, Shayla Black's Decadent, and I know that there is a improv troupe that uses scenes from that book in, in production. I mean, the way that people interact with the text belongs to them, and you don't get to determine you know, whether or not it's allowed once the book is published. It doesn't belong to you in a lot of ways anymore. No, the reader's I, I experience is her own. True. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And, and I think it's something you you realize as a writer only after your books have been out for a while. And, it, and in some ways it's really amazing because I've had reviews or people wrote me um, letters about my books where they say, see something about the character and they're like, I, you know, I can't believe you, you know, I, I think this was the motivation for that character. And it wasn't what I was thinking at all consciously, but maybe subconsciously I was. I mean, so it gives me a different perspective. And like you said, after they pay their few bucks and download your book, it's theirs and and. The way they experience it is as valid as my experience in writing it, you know? Yeah, so, and it's and a different experience. Think, yeah. Writing and yeah. reading, two totally different things. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, you know, look, I think I think there's a lot of writers who are just too close to their work. Um, you know, I think you have to have a certain amount of distance, and especially once it's published, it's, you know, it's out there, and, you know, move on, you know. And, it's, and I understand that that's hard, though, because the author's name is on the cover, and if something's wrong that had nothing to do with the author, the author hears about it. If the person doesn't like the cover, they're going to tell the author because the author's name is on the book. And I understand that you have to represent your books, and you have to represent what you've written, and you do hear about it when somebody doesn't like it. And I totally get that that's not easy. But the solution is write a bunch of books, the authors who I've spoken to who are completely unfazed by reviews 
There are authors who have written more than seven, more than ten different books. One author I spoke to um, in Alabama in March when I went to talk to the Southern Magic Romance Writers chapter, I think she's written like 30-something books for Harlequin in various lines, and she's like, yeah, reviews don't bother me, but that's probably because I've written 30 books. And I'm like, you wrote 30 books? That's an enormously huge accomplishment. That's awesome. She's like, yeah, after that point, who, yeah, I don't, I don't, if you want to say something negative about one of my books, that's okay. Someone else is going to love them. I'm still, work, I'm still working. It's okay. So the solution is, if you don't like your reviews, you got to write some more books. And get the perspective. Yeah, and get the perspective. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you said. I think it's not you. It's it's your book. It's it's parts of you. Are, you know, obviously you put your heart and soul into it, but yep. it's you know it's not you personally. And so, um, and I think I think anyone who's who's been writing for a little while or anyone with an ounce of maturity understands that. And and that's why they shouldn't be going on Goodreads. You know, disputing bad reviews or trying to argue with the reviewer, which, you know, I think everyone's heard about those horror that's a, stories. And it's, that's a bad idea. Don't don't argue with the reader about her experience. It, 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 even if, you know, she didn't like it because there were, there were people who were Scottish in the book, and the book is like, you know, Highlander, Scotland fling, whatever. It's, it's her experience with the book doesn't belong to you. Let it go. It's okay. And I understand that this is particularly difficult for romance because Romance is about intimacy. This is about inspiring empathy. Your book is going to create emotions in a person. And you have, as the writer, you have very little way of predicting what kind of emotions someone's going to have. And one scene that works really well for one reader could inspire emotions that another reader really resents. And because you are dealing with inspiring empathy and emotion and arousal, that leads to very strong feelings. And that very easily leads to people getting really, really mad. That makes it hard. That makes it difficult because romance is a very intimate genre, and I get that. And especially when you're, you know, online talking to people, and you can say something so quickly and then think, "Oh crap! I should not have said that." Oops! It happens. It happens to everybody. It's okay. People screw up. It's not a big deal. Eventually, the internet will move on. Probably within the hour. It's like the weather in various parts of the country. It'll change in an hour. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Everybody chill. We all got books to read. It's all good. Yes, 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 yes. Nothing, nothing's fatal, but I think you're right. Um, writers should think before they hit that send button because you're you're not just. I think once you become a writer, you're not just yourself anymore, right? You're representing all of your work, and do you really want yes. to? You know, you know, you don't want to. Like they say, don't talk about politics too much. You don't want to say. Too, you want people to know you, but you don't necessarily want them to know you too much because if you're, you, you know, if you're a Republican, then you don't want all the Democrats not to buy your book, you know, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with your story. So, you know, I think as a writer, you do need to keep certain things hidden from your from the reading public. Um, I think it's, it's good for every writer. Every writer needs a social media policy, and every writer's social media policy can be different, but you need to think, what are the things that I'm going to talk about? What are the things that I'm not going to talk about? And that could be different. You could, you could be an author for whom political discussion is part of your brand. That's definitely part of Suzanne Brockman's brand. She talks about gay rights in America frequently. Good on her. That is something that causes tension, but she's not going to stop doing that. That is, that is her decision. That may not work for another author, but every writer... Part of the problem is that when you become a writer and you represent online, you are, for a lot of, in a lot of ways, a public figure, which comes with good things and bad things. But you need to have a social media policy for yourself because that lets you define offline what it is and the things that you will and will not talk about, and then you can stick to it. And if you start to go too close to the areas of things that you don't want to talk about, you can stop yourself because you define in advance, this is an area that's off limits for me. I'm not going to go there. 
there's no one policy that works for every writer. Some people do talk about politics. Some people do talk about feminism. It's kind of hard not to talk about feminism when you talk about romance. And there, it is a frequent conversation. I think I've engaged in that same conversation twice this week about separating the art from the artist. And at what point does the artist's behavior become so reprehensible to you that you cannot enjoy their art anymore? And I've only got three people on my makes me flinch list, and that's Mel Gibson, Orson Scott Card, and Chris Brown. Like, I, that's my flinch list. I, I can't go there. I'm sorry. Not going to work for me. For or, other people, or, it's many, many, many people. Yeah, but or, everybody's or even, different. Yeah, to take it a little step further, like there's certain people, like like um, um, actors, like Tom Cruise, for example, right? You may love mm-hmm. Tom Cruise, but now I feel like I know so much about him and the, the, the Scientology and his three wives that I, it's hard for me to look at him and say, oh, there's a character, as opposed to there's Tom Cruise. And so you don't want the same thing in an, as a writer, right? You don't want yes. people to be like, oh, this is Bernadette's book. She's you know she's this whiny woman from Long Island. You want something. To you know, you want them to be able to almost forget about who wrote it and just get lost in the story. So and it's it's, def- it's different for every reader too. Some readers are yeah. going to say, "Oh my gosh, you're wearing green shoes. I hate green shoes. I'm never buying your book again." And there's other readers who could not give a crap less. It it is there's no dividing line that defines this for every writer. And it can be very scary to have somebody say, "Because you like X, I am never buying your books again." But that's one person and. It's okay to think about that and say, okay, well, what did I do that made that person mad? Do I want to take a look at what I said or what I did from a different perspective? Or you can just say, you know, that person and I are not a good match, and that's okay. There's no way to be appealing to everybody. There's really not. So it's okay to be a little different and to distinguish yourself through things that you're passionate about. Things that you're passionate about make you interesting. But like I said, define offline in advance what you are and are not going to talk about and stick to your plan. Like for me, I don't talk about my my job when I had a full-time job. I never talked about my job. I never talked about my work. And I worked for a billionaire CEO. Like I worked for an actual billionaire. I never talked about who that person was, where I worked, what they did. And it's only recently that I spoke, started speaking about it in a recent podcast because we were talking about the fact that billionaires are now the new standard hero, especially the BDSM billionaire. <laughs> so yeah. many of them. I find this hilarious. There's so many of the billionaire BDSM CEO of, of Dumb Bondage. It's amazing. It's hilarious. But that is something that I'm not going to talk about. And I also talk about my kids by their real names. I do that for Yeah, for no, I'm, I'm, I'm strict about that as well. Well, listen, I want Sarah, them to be is, offline this has been a fantastic, as long as possible. <laughs> I want them to be <laughs> offline as long as possible. I know. <laughs> me too, me too. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining. This is We could go on for another hour, but we're, like, running out of time. But this has been a really great um, interview, and I know that your time is very precious, and, and a lot of people are trying to um, get pieces of it just because um, you – really are in some ways an icon in the romance industry. So I really do appreciate that you uh, took the time to join the show. Um, oh, it's my and pleasure. I I can, yes, and I hope I can convince you maybe some other time to, to come sure, back. Sure, absolutely. This is really fun. I'd be more than happy to do this again. I don't know about being an icon. Um, uh, you're, it's you're good thing this is on the phone, there. let me tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks so much. Just a couple of reminders to people. Um, over the summer, I will be I've, I'm giving away 50 books along with Kindle gift certificates in the Summer of Love contest. We've already had the Memorial Day drawing, but there are two more drawings left: the Fourth of July and the Labor Day drawing. And all you need to do is either like the Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books Facebook fan page or follow the show on Blog Talk Radio to see all of the beautiful covers of the donated books. Go to Pinterest 
under Bernadette Walsh, and then you can check. Then you can uh, log on to the Summer of Love boards. Now, by liking or following, you will always be up to date with all of my shows and guests. Plus, you might win some really great prizes. So just click like. It's really not that hard. Um, wanted to tell you also about some of our great upcoming shows. Uh, Jennica, Jennifer Fusco, author of the Market of Die series, and author of an owner. I'm sorry, owner of the Market or Die Author Services will be my guest on June 12th. On June 19th, I'll be interviewing Adrian Giordano, who writes romantic suspense and mystery. And on June 5th, at 7 o'clock, I will be a guest on the Away With Books on Blog Talk Radio, radio show, and um, I'll be on the hot seat and will now have to answer the questions uh, instead of just asking them. So please check out all of those shows, and all the information is on my website, BernadetteWalsh.com. Uh, um, just wanted to talk about my writing. I'm hard at work on my final, final edits for The Devlin Witch, which is book four of the Devlin Legacy series, and that will be released by Lyrical Press in September. But the first three books in that series, Devil's Mountain, Devil's Shore, and Devil's Daughter, are all available, so please check them out, and that way you'll be all ready when the fourth and final book is released in September. Also want to remind people about my uh, Gold Coast Wives book. It has been described as fun, fluffy beach read, and um, so it's perfect for all this hot weather, so please give that a try as well. Um, Again, Sarah, thanks so much for joining me, and thanks, everyone, for listening to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. This is your host, Bernadette Walsh, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.